0: I love telling stories. What I, what I, what I learned uh, with my work at NFL Films, a matchup show, ESPN, I still have an office at NFL Films. And, and my, my partner, Jason Jones, uh, my business manager, does all this work for me and research work you know, uh, over at NFL Films. And Steve Sable used to always say, tell a story. People love stories. Rather than you know doing all this deep drilled down stuff, just tell stories. So I'll tell you a story about the Eagle fans. We're playing I think it was 1985, and I'm having one of those games where, and Jake, you know, things weren't really going the way you'd like them to go, and the fans are a little bit restless, and um, I'm standing on the sideline, and we're supposed to run out on the field. We just got the ball from the kickoff, and as 11 guys are running out on the field, I'm in with the other 10 offensive players, and all of a sudden, my coordinator, Ted Flump, says, hey, Josh, come back here, and I'm going, oh, shit, man. Now, when I got to run on that field, I'm going to run out there alone, right? So... (laughs) Now, 10 guys are out there. I get to play. I go running on the field, and I hear the boos cascading you know, from the 700 level of veteran stadium. I want to have a good day. They let me know about it. But I also knew this as well. When I walked in that huddle, what those other 10 players I had to line up and play with were thinking. I had 20 eyeballs on me when I walked in that huddle. I went 30 yards across the field, and the fans were booing. I know they were booing me. When I walked in that huddle, I looked around like this, and I looked at every guy. And every eyeball was pointing at me because they wanted to see how I was going to handle it. You know, what what was that going to, what impact would that, what was it going to do to me? So I looked and I had a big smile on my face and said, they still love me. And everybody cracked up. Everybody, so, you know, and, you know, I didn't think about that. It just was a spontaneous reaction. We went eighty yards and scored a touchdown. I think because the guys were loose and relaxed and not worried about Jaws. You know, is he all right? Is he all right? Hey, let's go. We gotta we gotta play the game, and have some fun. They still love me.
1: to 90% Mental and the In and Out of the Pocket podcast series with All-Pro quarterback Jake the Snake Plumber and mental performance coach Grant Parr, where the mental game is discussed and discovered by the best quarterbacks and offensive-minded professionals in the business. From overcoming adversity, celebrating mental wins, to actionable mental skill strategies and more, you'll learn how to mentally navigate in and out of the pocket. Today in the Pocket, Jake and Grant sit down with former NFL quarterback Ron Jaworski to talk about how he developed his competitive mindset that allowed him to compete for 17 years in the NFL. Ron shares intimate stories about how Dick Vermeil's coaching style was critical to his success and how important it is to be prepared for the unexpected. Tune in and hear these three quarterbacks talk about the mental game and what it takes to compete at an elite level. ReadyList Sports is the future of sports playbooks with its digitized integration of multiple learning styles that helps coaches teach better and players learn more efficiently. Engineered by former professional quarterbacks, ReadyList Sports' revolutionary play drawing tool will save coaches countless hours creating plays. ReadyList Sports also provides the players accessibility to study their playbooks using the ReadyList Sports app for iOS and Android. It's like having the playbook in your pocket. The best part of ReadyList are the auto-generated tests the players take after studying that help ensure retention of your plays. Now let's all huddle up and go visit ReadyListSports.com. What would more wins, higher productivity, or quicker recovery mean for you? NeuroPeak Pro optimizes human performance by working to promote balance within the autonomic nervous system. Used by the world's elite athletes, this training program is now available to you at home. Cutting-edge neuroscience and technology allows you to strengthen your brain remotely, anytime, anywhere. Schedule your evaluation and get started with your brain training today. Visit NeuroPeak Pro and receive a 10% discount by using the promo code GRANTPAR.
2: Welcome back to another episode of the In and Out of the Pocket podcast series with Jake and Grant, where the mental game is discussed and discovered. What's up, my man? What's going on, Jake?
3: Oh, man, you know, just uh, getting through the COVID and continuing to uh, make the most of every day, you know? Life is good if you make it so. Exactly. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're at this again, man. It's good to see you, Grant. Um, I'm real excited today because we're back uh, with really uh, someone that's very well-known. In the NFL world, in the football world, in the golf world, business world, uh, back east. He's uh, one hell of a quarterback in his time. You can call him Rifle Ron, the Polish Rifle. We all know him as Jaws. He's the man that like got the gift of gab when it comes to football. He can tell you what's up. So it's a real pleasure and a, and a huge honor uh, to have someone I watched as a child growing up who, uh, as we were just discussing, we kind of ended our careers with similar statistics and, uh, you know, one hell of a quarterback, a great guy. Anybody I ask, uh, they love Jaws. So, hey, Jaws, welcome to In and Out of the Pocket with Grant Parr and Jake Plummer. We're so happy to have you as a guest today.
0: Hey, Jake, great to be with you and uh, Grant uh, with you as well. And, you know, our, our paths crossed many times. I was uh, doing television work and we never crossed as competitors on the field. Obviously, I was a tad older than you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I, I still remember the first time I ran into I think it was down at the, um, down in Florida at the College Football Awards Show, uh, where we spent yeah. some time together down there, and obviously following your great career that you had, uh, you know, with the Cardinals and the Broncos. So uh, it's good to be with you and uh, talking ball, man. That's what I love to do.
3: Well, we're going to get into it, man. We kind of like we like to uh, address in the pocket, you know, where you go through as a quarterback, mental side of things, uh, how to adapt to challenges. But then we're going to bounce out of the pocket too, because you know me. You know, I couldn't stand in that pocket all day long. And you yourself also, man, when the pocket breaks down, how do you react? We get us get a little taste of what the real Jaws is like out of the pocket, but we'll save that for later. Um, I got to start out with just, uh, you know, your career and how, how you started in L.A. You were a second-round pick. Um, didn't go as well as you wanted there, but then you got to Philadelphia. And I know every player, no matter how good you are, how much you work, you come across influential coaches. I have to start with this because he was to me one of the greatest coaches of all time. But what did you learn playing for a coach like Dick Vermeil that you've been able to carry on through life? Some of the most important lessons.
0: Yeah, it's funny to start out with with, with Coach Vermeil, Jake, because he's still like a father to me. Um, you know, I mean, he was hard, he was tough, he was demanding. And I guess that's what parents do, right? That they, they, you know, they 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 mold us as people and. Dick Vermeule was that guy to me. You know, my my, my dad had passed away uh, my sophomore year in college. And, you know, I, I guess as a, as a young person, you kind of get lost along the way. And not that I was lost, but I didn't have that father figure. My, my mom was phenomenal, an unbelievable lady, but she wasn't my dad. Uh, she wasn't the, the, the hardcore, tough person that, that every young person needs. And uh, I got to know Dick Vermeule actually in 1973, when you mentioned uh, the LA Rams, who drafted me in, in, in the second round. And Dick Farrell was the running backs coach with the Rams. That's the first time we had hooked up, not when I came to Philadelphia. Uh, that's kind of a, the reason I ended up in Philadelphia because he knew what I could do. Now, I wasn't even playing in 1973. I was on the Rams roster, but John Hadel and James Harris were there. I was the third string quarterback. And, you know, I saw zero action that year. But Dick Farrell saw me on the practice field. He knew the talent that I had. And three years later, when he got the Eagles' job, he traded for me. So uh, that's where that relationship started. And and, and Dick coached me hard. Uh, and to this day, he's always coaching me. You know, I mean? <laughs> Coaches never <laughs> stop coaching, but, but yeah. that guy was, they, they, I mean, he, if you look at someone that is, you know, really uh, a person you re- we really respect and they're responsible for our success, for me, it would be Dick Vermeule.
2: You know, Ron, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Coach Vermeule, because when we talk about transformational coaching – to me, he's that one of those coaches that stands out on, um, kind of has that perspective of coaching the heart of the athlete. Like it's not about just football; it's it's about getting to know the person behind the football player. What were some of the cool things you can share with Vermeil um, that he? Some of the things that he's done for you, or he, had, you know, specific things that he affected you in in your development.
0: Well, I I think it was pretty simple. You know, we've always heard the statement the six P's. You know, piss poor preparation means a piss poor performance. And that was true. And 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 with Coach Vermeil, it was always about preparation, free, being prepared for every situation that's going to come up in a ball game. And and, and I think back to the you know the, the, my career started you know in the mid '70s, and then you know come to Philadelphia, and, and you know now everything's video and got all these fancy cutups and all that. It was it was all about the film study, Jake. And it, as you guys as quarterbacks, you know it's that preparation. So when you get in a ball game. There is nothing that surprises you. And if you prepare properly, you study properly, you have a better chance for success from that pre-snap read when you break the huddle to once the ball is snapped and where you go with the football, your protections, your routes, your adjustments, all those things I've always felt. And I turned it into a post-playing career at NFL Films and ESPN with breaking down coaching tape because that gave me the edge. You know, Jake, maybe you had an edge because you could run. You know, I was a, I was a statue in the pocket. You know, I wasn't one of those guys, you know, but I, I felt I'm going to beat you mentally. And no matter what it took, I was going to find a way to beat you. And how was I going to get that edge? You know, you guys talk about that edge that you need to be successful because the, the fine line between success and failure in the NFL is like that. I mean, it is, it is so minute. And, and, and I've just always been a big believer that film study preparation and expect the unexpected really is the key to success, so you're never fooled, and you're always ready for whatever the defense or life can throw at you.
3: Great point there. You know, Coach Vermeil, and, and the, the fact that he is, you know, one of the greatest coaches of all time, um, all good coaches, I think, for me, at least my experience, they gave me the leash that I needed to be who I was, uh, to be the leader that I was, to approach, you know, practice, weight room, whatever it was, they kind of gave me that leash but they also were there to guide me like you said he's still guiding you today give us a little bit of a glimpse of uh the early on the the jaws back in the day in philly when you know in 80 you had a hell of a year you guys you lost in the super bowl but what was your leadership ship style because as a quarterback we both know i mean we can be the best in the world it's the guys around you and how they relate to you and if you can bring the best out of them so what were some of your things you would do to uh endear yourself to those guys so they'd want to you know fight and Block the train for you that was coming at your head?
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, I think the work ethic starts out as number one. Jake, as you yeah. know, and Grant, you know, you played the position. You have to be the first guy in and the last guy out. And, you know, we hear that about everybody. We hear that, oh, he's the first guy in, he's the last guy. You know what? That's BS. We know that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm telling you, I, we, you know, when I was doing Monday Night Football, and you get a chance to really kind of look behind the curtain of great coaches and Andy Reid and Bill Belichick, when you spend three days with that team in preparation for a Monday night football game, you learn and you talk to people. And, 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 and I found out there are a lot of guys that say, oh yeah, my quarterback's the first guy in the last gap. That's not, not right. You start talking to players. Uh, this guy's showing up 10 minutes before the meeting. So everyone says that, but eventually you, every, it, it thins itself <laughs> out. And those guys that are weak get weeded out. So yeah. you know that, that's, I've always felt, you know, I had to be that cheerleader kind of guy, the hardest worker on the team, the tempo setter on the team, guy that's studying the tape, guy that's in the meeting room, guy that's taking the notes, all those things. And Jake, you know you've been in those meeting rooms. How many sometimes you gotta tell you, hey, pick up your pencil, write this down, wake you know? up. And They're leaning. You, the you, know, you got to lean it <laughs> against up. the wall, you know. <laughs> hey man, I don't want you to miss that blitz. Pay attention, to, you know, yeah, running back coaches off. up there on blitz pickup period. So, you know, I kind of was a guy that wanted to hold people accountable. And and I had to do that. But when I came to Philly, it's 1977. Eagles hadn't been in the playoffs in 17 years. I and mean, we were a bad football team. It was run bad for a long period of time. And there was a game and you know, there's some games where the fans kind of get on me a little bit, you know, you hear about 50,000 people booing you. you. know, When that happens, you know, you hear it. So we're playing the game, and, it, and NFL Films still has this uh, uh, documented uh, over NFL Films. Coach Mill is wired, one of those NFL Films' wires, and he goes, Ronnie, get over here. Get over here. And the fans are, you know, they're, they're booing, right? Me change, You know, Jake, Grant, you know, if, if the coach doesn't put his arm around you and tell him you're his guy, there's always that little doubt in your mind. From, that really resonated with me. When the coach says, you're my guy. Those fans aren't going to change the quarterback here. If there's only one person who change the quarterback, and that's me. And that meant a lot to me, that he had the faith and confidence oh, yeah. in me. And literally from that point on, I said, you know, this guy's got my back. You know, he, he believes in me. And, and that kind of turned the
3: light on.
2: Wow. Wow,
3: that's awesome, man. I love that.
2: I love that. You know, I do want to get into preparation, but th- there's something that I didn't have a chance to share this with you uh, before the show, Ron. But, you know, with my 13-year career as a quarterback, it literally started when I was six years old, my very, very first exposure was the Super Bowl game against the Raiders? That was the first time I can recall what professional football was, and you were a part of that experience. So when you think about preparation, did you have a routine that would get you locked in before the games and going to that Super Bowl game? Did you had to prepare differently, you know, to deal with all the emotions and distractions and the hype of the Super Bowl?
0: It, it, it's very difficult. Um, but we were a, a a team that was really focused. You know, we didn't win the Super Bowl, but it wasn't because uh, Romiel worked it too hard. You guys, you know, didn't have enough time off. You didn't enjoy New Orleans. The Raiders are out partying. That's why you guys lost. Oh, come on, you know everyone's got you know they outplayed us on that given on that given day. We beat them in the regular season. The night before at our our team meeting, and you guys know those team Meeting and it's a chance to talk if you want. Dick Vermeil ended that speech with in this tomorrow night as world champions. That we we felt we were going to win the football game. And that's because we felt we were prepared. We were a hardworking, overachieving team. That that's who we were. We were a bunch of street fighters. You know, that, that was our our team was built. We didn't have a bunch of number one draft choices that dominated. We were a bunch of guys that were going to give it everything we had laid on the line. Uh, so we lost the game. It didn't it, it certainly this day I still feel bad about it. Uh, didn't win the Super Bowl ring, but I got one now because uh, I was on the committee that hired Doug Peterson so <laughs> with yeah. Doug Peterson and Eagles winning a Super Bowl. But it, it, it's hard to get there. It's hard to win.
3: It's difficult. Speaking of players and uh, guys you you know you speak of that were with you during that, that journey through your NFL, can you give us some of your favorite names some of your favorite teammates? Just like Or even an opponent that brought the best out of you, and just describe him. Say why you know you feel that way. (laughs) Because when I think back on my career, I mean, it's hard to name maybe one or two, but I'm sure there are some that stand out.
0: Yeah, it's kind of funny, Jake. And and, and, you know, people ask about the 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 memories. You know, what are the great memories? You get it all the time, Grant. You bring it up. What do you remember? And you know, the touchdown passes. Yeah, there were some, you know, beautiful ones. There was playoff victories. There was a. NFL record 99 yard touchdown pass to Mike Cook. All those things are not, I'm not discounting them, but when people ask me that question, I don't, you know I say my teammates and the coaches, there's, there's this, you guys know this, there's a special bond in a football team. Oh, yeah. There really is a special bond. And I can't explain it to people. You guys experience it. So you know what I'm, I'm talking about? There's a lot of people that really don't understand that bond and, and those players that, you, know, you use the term war, you know, it's it, probably not the appropriate term, but it, it is like going to battle with your guys, you know, and it creates a very unique bond that you can't really explain that to people unless you've lived it and been in that locker room celebrating victory or crying after a loss or p- hugging each other after great victories or even losses. So until you experience that, um, it's hard to explain what it is, but I do know this, when people ask me that question, what I remember are my teammates, my coaches, and the people that, that I worked with every single day because they formed what I am. Wow. There
3: are there any guys that really stand out, any teammates that just, you know, you looked up to or, or, or were definitely inspiring? I know I play with a guy like Aeneas Williams. I mean, you know, I mean, how can you really count yourself when you stack yourself up as a man and you look at Aeneas, you go like, well, God, I still got a lot of work to do. Yeah, are there any guys that just too. really were were that, that influential in your life and, and really stand out?
0: It, it, it's kind of funny. I, I, I always kind of matriculated to the offensive line. You know, they were kind of you – know, you know those guys. Yeah. You know, oh, they, yeah. They're the grunts, man. You know the old line guys. You know, yeah, the fat you, backs. That, that, a, <laughs> and they're the most lev- – mo- at least in my era, they were the most level-headed, keep the media oh, yeah. away. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to play ball, you know, and go, <laughs> and go drink some beer on Thursday at attitude adjustment, you know
3: <laughs> Yes, yeah. yes. I,
0: I, I kind of like always kind of hang, was hanging out with the offensive linemen all the time. And, and maybe just a little, a little side story, in Philadelphia, in that, in that era, the Phillies, the baseball team, and, and, and the Eagles, obviously the football team, shared kind of the same shower facilities, sauna, whirlpool, blah, blah, blah. And Pete Rose was on, on, the, on the Phillies at the time. And when, when our seasons overlapped, Pete spent more time in our locker room than I think the Phillies locker room. And he always hung around the big uglies That's down there, cool. the offensive line. You know, He was <laughs> one of those guys. It's pizza street guy. I'm, I'm a kid that grew up in a steel town, you know, Lackawanna, New York, everyone worked at Bethlehem steel. And that's what they did. Offensive linemen, you know, they're, they're the kind of grisly kind of players, those kinds of guys. So Pete would hang out there. I'd hang out. We just love the offensive linemen. So uh, that's how wasn't
3: Philly.
2: Beautiful. It's Great. Well, let's, let's talk about adversity because we, we've we all as quarterbacks, I mean, you have to handle adversity and, you know, we all know it sucks to throw an interception, fumble, pick six. But when you had to deal with those type of adversities during the game, how did you – how did you get overcome it? How did you wash that from, from your being to get prepared for the next series?
0: Amnesia. I think it's, <laughs> an attribute, it's an attribute that a quarterback or any player must have a particular quarterback because when you play the highly competitive National Football League, it is highly competitive. You can lose every game. That's how competitive it is. And you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be humiliated. The fans are going to boo you. It's the nature of the job you do. And if you let that bother you, you can't make it in the NFL. you got to develop a thick skin to play the position. So I felt one of the attributes I developed, because hey, younger in my career, I was sensitive to all that stuff. But you develop an alligator skin and you just forget about it. you got to move on to the next play. Coaches will tell you one play at a time. You can't do anything about the last play. The only thing you control right now is the next play. So that's how you have to focus. And I, I learned that throughout my career that you just had to forget and move on. If it stayed in the back of your mind and haunted you, you're going to make a lot more mistakes.
3: It's kind of like life when you're, when you're navigating life as far as like day to day. You know, you can't worry about yesterday. And you can't think too far into the future. You just got to be in the moment. It definitely is a lesson
0: learned. Negative experiences mold us more than the positive experience, I believe. How you deal with that adversity. And, and, you know, we've all heard, hey, don't point fingers at anyone because you know what happens? Four point back. You know, so, you know, hey, mistakes are made, learn from and move on.
2: Big time. Well, and how was it, you know, as you were growing up through your career, I can only imagine when you talk about alligator skin, playing in Philly, that's a whole different different crowd to play to especially if you're not performing well how do you how do you deal with those distractions
0: <laughs> i i love telling stories what i what i what i learned uh with my work at nfl films a matchup show espn i still have an office at nfl films and and my my partner jason jones uh, my business manager does all his work for me and research work you know, uh, over at nfl films and steve Sable used to always say tell a story people love stories rather than you know, doing all this deep drill down stuff. Just tell stories. So I'll tell you a story about the Eagle fans. We're playing, I think it was 1985. And I'm having one of those games where, and Jake, you know, things weren't really going the way you'd like them to go. And the fans are a little bit restless. And um, I'm standing on the sideline and we're supposed to run out on the field. We just got the ball from the kickoff. And as 11 guys are running out on the field, I'm in with the other 10 offensive players. And all of a sudden my coordinator, Ted Fumps says, Hey, Josh, come back here. And I'm going, ah, oh, shit, man. Now when i got to run in that field, I'm going to run out there alone, right? So <laughs> now 10 guys are out there. I get to play. I go running on the field, and I hear the boos cascading, you know, from the 700 level of veteran stadium. I want to have a good day. They let me know about it. But I also knew this as well. When I walked in that huddle, what those other 10 players I had to line up and play with were thinking, I had 20 eyeballs on me when I walked in that huddle. I went 30 yards across the field and the fans are booing. I know they were booing me. When I walked in that huddle, I looked around like this and I looked at every guy and every eyeball was pointing at me because they wanted to see how I was going to handle it. You know, what, what, what was that going to, what impact was that, what was it going to do to me? So I looked and I had a big smile on my face and said, they still love me. And everybody cranked <laughs> up. Everybody, so, you know, it, and, you know, I didn't think about that. It just was a spontaneous reaction. We went 80 yards and scored a touchdown. I think because the guys were loose and relaxed and not worried about jaws. You know, is he all right? Is he all right? Hey, let's go! We gotta we gotta play the game, and have some fun.
3: They still love me. <laughs> Steve, you, shift, you shifted the frequency, man. I love it. And and stories. Here's one. I'm gonna follow you up because my first live NFL action was in the old Veterans Stadium in Philly. I got thrown in in the second half and the ball was on our two-yard line, oh. and I'm like, oh, my God, and it was in the part of the stadium, rounded, and it was loud, and they were saying some mean, vicious, vile things about me. I'm weighing a good 195, 6'2", <laughs> didn't know what the hell I was doing. But when I stepped in that huddle, like you said, all ten of those faces were looking at me, and I said, and, you know, after seeing Larry Sinners going like this, and I'm looking at him <laughs> like, what are you doing? He's like, I have the tiger, baby. I have the tiger. We're in oh. Philly, right? So I've said some choice words with a few expletives, like, let's take this ball 98. And we went 98 yards. So Philly has always been a real special place to play for me. Like that, that blue collar fan that just wants to see toughness. I was respected there because I brought that, but I had a lot of great comebacks in Philly and there's a few reasons. And I'll ask you that a little later, but how has it changed in Philly since you were the man and now Carson Wentz is the man like, What's it like as far as just like, I mean, I know we could probably deduce what that is, but tell me, you know, how sweet it was back in the day and what's the difference now? Yeah, it, I mean, it is
0: different because, you know, the stadiums now are so much more modern and luxury suites and high price tickets, and Phillies know that it was a 700 level. You know, the people that were drunk, you know, from 10 o'clock in the morning come in, you know, they'd be hanging over the railing as you come in the stadium—they're they're drunk. They're and these these are hardcore football fans. They're blue-collar workers, and if they pe- spent twenty-five bucks for for a ticket, that was—they worked for a whole day for that twenty-five bucks, and they expected a performance out of you because that's that's just the way it was. They wanted you to win number one, number two, but they wanted you to lay it on the line. So that was phil its a little bit different now, although fans are tougher, but it's. It, it's not necessarily shot in a beer, guys. It's more a little champagne drinking <laughs> going on in the stands, so and they I, smell I, good.
3: <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, not not as crazy it was, I would say, during my era. But yeah. still pretty crazy. It is Philadelphia, and there's still a great passion for the fans. But I, I think the crowd has changed a little bit and a little more respectful of the players.
2: You know, you you bring up the next man up, which is it's pretty fitting because I wrote a book on it about a year ago. And I know that when we, I mean, especially in the last couple of weeks, we've seen so many quarterbacks getting prepared unexpectedly thrown in, you know, Justin Herbert being one of them um, and also um, Andy Dalton. But being the next man up is not necessarily waiting for your opportunity. It's sometimes you are the man and you actually have lost it. And now you have to stay focused to get prepared to be the man again. So when you were the man in Philly for all those years, and then Randall comes in and takes your job, how did you how did you deal with that transition and and how did you stay focused?
0: I think number one, you have to have a team orientation that the team comes first, and 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 I've always believed in that, and I've lived it that way, and even in my business life, it's about team first. And I think as a quarterback, you know, everyone enjoys being the man. You know, you want to be the man, team leader, and all of a sudden, hey, I, you know, Randall's drafted in the second round. I knew it's only a matter of time. That was like my. Uh, 12th year in the league and we're all smart enough to know how how it operates you're not gonna this game is 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 a short period as, as we all know the average career is about 3.1 years so you know I'm in my 12th 13th year and they draft a guy in the second round as an electrifying athlete I'm but I'm fighting like hell for my job I am fighting like hell because I'm not I'm not giving this up but eventually you know the change will come but and it's hard to deal with because As a starting quarterback, and and you know, Jake, you you have to have a great confidence in yourself in the NFL because it's just the nature of what you have to be. And you get yourself kind of motivated to take that role. And all of a sudden you're no longer in that role and it's hard to turn that switch off and say, all right, now I gotta be supportive of, you know, I go to Miami to back up Dan Marino and for a couple of years and a cup of coffee there, and you're kind of hanging out for a paycheck. But when you're the starter, You know, you're, you're all in, you're totally committed. You're, I mean, you, you laid on the line all the time. Now you're the backup. You've got to kind of back away. Cause the last thing you want to do is uh, the selfish and all that sort of thing. So you really got to, from being the guy to like, okay, I'm just going to be very meek over here now. That was hard for me. And I think it's, I think it's hard for everybody because I'm an outgoing person. That's I'm, I'm a cheerleader I'm all those things. Awesome. I was still a cheerleader, but I couldn't cheer for myself so it, it it was it was a hard transition it, it really was but if you put team first it helps you get through it
3: perfect great point great point you know it happened to me late at the last year of my career where I got uh benched for a younger you know sleeker model with a bigger <laughs> arm but didn't quite have all the leadership skills that I had already uh, developed through my years and so it was hard at first I was kind of uh I wasn't a good teammate for a few days, and then I realized, like, I can still be influential even if I'm not playing. Guys look to me for inspiration, for leadership. So, yeah, it's a a hard pill to swallow, but, um, you know, we both had good careers, played for a long time. It's interesting, Jake,
0: you said that because when I was first benched and lost my job to Randall, he started like three or four games uh, and didn't play well. So I was inserted back in the lineup, and I got to tell you, I was playing free and loose, man, because I yeah. didn't give a damn. Well, what? Hey, they ventured. Yeah. What are they gonna do? Shoot me? You know, it's, it's like, the, yeah. as you know, it's like the worst. So I was playing free and loose, and I would end up being the NFL Comeback Player of the Year that year. Yeah. I was just playing, slinging, having a good old time, no fear.
3: You know? oh, man. I feel so, you. Know, that last, that last game of the year for me, I got in when Jay got a concussion before halftime and took him down and scored, and was just free and loose. And my last throw of my career was was a haymaker rolling to my left coach said, what were you thinking? I said, I'm trying to make a play, coach. That was always my response. Just trying to That's make a, a play. Trying to make a That's play. what we're here to do, right? <laughs> I love yeah. it, Jake. That's, and you made a hey, lot I, of it. <laughs> I tried, man. I got a, I got a little question that may throw you off But this is from my, my weirdo brother, who's just a mad, crazy sports <laughs> fan. Uh, he's watched every game uh, ever known to man in any sport. But his question is about the evolution of the game of football. And, you know, it always starts at the lower levels and trickles up to the NFL. But Why don't we see more innovation from coaches in the NFL? You know, think about a backfield that would be full of, say, just for for hypothetical purposes, Vince Young, Cordell Stewart, and Taysom Hill. And they lateral, they throw, they run, they block. They can all do so much. Will we see that or are we shifting towards that with guys like Kyla Murray, Jalen Hurts now getting an opportunity? But These guys were passed over in the past. Do you ever see this? Happening and why is there a lack of real evolution in the at the top? I
0: I I would disagree that there isn't the, that evolution. In fact, okay. I wrote a book. If you get a chance, read my book. Seven seven games that changed the game of the NFL. And and I okay. I took specific games going back to the early '60s to Bill Belichick's uh, uh, win against Mike March's offense in the Super Bowl. And I talked about the evolution of the game because we talk about stuff now. And I did a Patriots-Chargers breakdown. I found this film at a museum in New England, a film of a game between the Patriots and the Chargers and Sid Gilman and what he did with, with, yeah. with the passing game. And so I'm looking at this tape. I like think it was 1963 was, was the game. And there was a defensive end named Larry Eisenhower. And Larry Eisenhower took two steps forward and dropped into coverage. I I'm Quite honestly, I was shocked because I was led to believe that, oh, they just line up in three yards in a cloud of dust. There was innovation back in the early days. You know, that became a zone blitz a little later that Buddy Ryan made famous and all those types of schemes by dropping defensive linemen out. But sometimes we forget about the history. We don't study the game and research the game. But a lot of this stuff was done. And and, and I think right now we're seeing the next evolution of the game. And I think, number one, the rules have allowed it. The rules have allowed high-scoring, freewheeling style of offense where you can't touch a wide receiver coming off the line and you know somewhat in our day and maybe when I started the league with Willie Brown and guys like that they they would maul you I mean they would oh, hold yeah. you up and rip your face mask <laughs> right. off and stick buckets ah. and try to puncture your lung and all those things you know that yeah. man, that, was, that was that was football right that's what you could say oh, that was football um, you can't do that stuff anymore I mean you, you put a fingernail on a guy that's throwing the flag for passing their fair. it's it's Gotten way out of control, I think.
3: Yeah, Man, yeah. I played
0: a different game. You played a different game. The game is different Different now. You have to adapt and adjust. And now I'm seeing four and five wide receivers on the field, quarterbacks and shotgun, you know, zinging it, slinging it, doing all these crazy things and scorings up on it, you know, at a level it's never been before. So I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing creativity and innovative coaches and doing things differently. I'm not sure it's making the game better, but it's making it more high scoring. It's almost like, like an arena football game now where you get a stop in an arena league game, you win, you
2: know? <laughs> exactly. Well, I got I got one quick question before we – I guess we're going to get into the out-of-the-pocket questions, right? Right, Jake? There it is. Yeah, <laughs> Go for it, Grant. I'm ready. Um,
3: yeah. Well,
2: before we get into it, I just – I love asking this question because as quarterbacks, we know what it feels to be, you know, in the zone. And just, you know, when the ball comes off our hand, every just – the feel of throwing a perfect pass. So how would you describe in one word, you're in the pocket, pocket moves around, you're moving up in the pocket, and you throw this beautiful just over the shoulder in the corner of the end zone touchdown. How would you describe that experience in one word?
0: Exhilarating. Aha.
2: Sure is. Very nice.
0: That's the one word. Now I'll embellish it because it may happen that one time at that one moment, but you know you've worked on it a thousand times. In the off-season, making that throw, and practice, making that throw, you may work on it a thousand times just for that one opportunity. And when you're successful, whether you go,
3: ah, that yeah. is
0: exhilarating. Yep.
3: Yes, and it yep. goes on the scoreboard in the game. That's <laughs> the <guy that's... laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's why that preseason was hard for me, man. It was like, this isn't real. This is fake ball. Like, what the hell? I want to play (laughs) where it matters. Yeah, no. There's no standings. There's no records. We're all zero and zero in another month. (laughs) No. Well, hey, the pocket's breaking down, so we've got to bounce out with a few quick questions. You can answer them as quick and easy as you want here. Favorite concert that you've ever attended? John Bon Jovi. Oh, yeah, man. All right. 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 By the way, for for – uh, a few years,
0: John Bon Jovi was also my business partner. We would owned the Philadelphia Soul of the Arena Football League. So, uh, you know, I'd go to all of John's concerts, and we we would have a blast. And John is a not only an obviously tremendous entertainer; he loves football. Our only problem is he's a Giants Patriots fan, so I, we didn't always see eye to
3: eye on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then now about your favorite sports movie, Rocky. Rocky, all right. Yeah, really guy. It. Yeah. I that's, had the Tiger, baby. Um, yeah. You love to golf, right? So yep. tell me who's your ideal, the other three people joining your foursome. Name the three people that you would just love to golf with all the time. Um,
0: I've always idolized Arnold Palmer. Um, I thought he did he did for the game of golf. You know, talk about Tiger and what's happening now and say, basketball or baseball to, to, to make it so fan friendly and people want to watch it. I think Arnold Palmer was uh, uh, a guy that I'd love to have in my foursome. Um, I would probably say Tiger Woods and uh, Nancy Lopez, a great female golfer. I would, I would, I'd like to have a, kind of a good group of people that, and also have a lady in
3: the group as well. Very nice, very nice. Okay, next question. Uh, people ask me why, why you had such success in Philly coming from behind doing this and that. I said it was the cheesesteak sandwich. <laughs> Every night before game, we go down to, to Pat's. Yeah. But there's Pat's, and then across the street, I think, is Andy's, right?
1: So
3: what? Which one did you Gino's. go? Geno's. that's it. I'm sorry. I, I <laughs> missed yeah. that one. Which one were you uh, akin to, Pat, Pat's or Geno's?
0: Now, I'll make this clear. I don't want to denigrate any one of them because I've been to both many, many times, usually about 3 a.m. in the morning when it's hard to decide yes. what you're <laughs> – <laughs> you need something in your belly. Uh, I love it. But if you really want to know my feeling, I'll say Geno's. Okay.
3: All right. Well, I would go to Pat's, get two with uh, pregame. That was my pregame meal, my four games. uh, Wit or without, W-I-T, wit or without. Yep, wit. (laughs) And they'd get mad if you didn't know, man. You better know your order. You're going to get kicked in the ass. All right. Don't mess with South Philly, Jake. (laughs) No, don't mess with it. I know that. Okay, two more quick ones. What are your your grandchildren? What do they call you? What's their nickname for you? Grand Jaws. (laughs) <laughs> grand Jaws. <laughs> I love it. There are no I other it. Grand Jaws. I, I know, hey, that they, no. they monopolize that. Uh, That's yeah. awesome, man. Okay, the, the last question I got for you, I want you to be Nostradamus for us and take us 20 years from now, what's football going to be like? What will we be watching? Uh, I know you may be right or wrong on this, but tell me what you think.
0: Well, I've seen, you know, 40 years of change the NFL – And and I think uh, there'll be big changes in the the next 20. Uh, I think you'll see probably lighter players, faster players. Um, The passing game will be absolutely paramount. I I don't know how much running will actually take place in the future of the NFL. I think it's going to be a passing league because fans like the excitement of the passing game, uh, like we all do as quarterbacks, (laughs) talking about it right now. but But I think you see lighter players more high-scoring games, and a lot more passing.
2: Cool.
3: Cool. I like it.
2: Well, I have one question, I have one more – just one question. Bring it on, Grant. So, (laughs) if you were to transform yourself into today's quarterback, any starting quarterback, who would that be? And what coach would you want to play for that is current right now?
0: If I had a, a, a quarterback that I would have liked to play the game, like it'd be Peyton Manning, uh, Peyton even a Drew Brees, guys that, that were cerebral and understand the game. And I don't think neither of those guys have great physical talent. Like yet they're, you know, first ballot hall of famers and great players because they work their ass off to get good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just, they just committed themselves. And, and, and you guys know if you're going to be, if you're going to be great at the quarterback position, it's not playing great on Sunday. It's all those other days where you put the time in to get better, study the tape, lift those weights, all the things that you have to do, you know, to to show up on Sunday and look good. There's a lot of time that puts in, and guys like Peyton and Drew Brees, and there are others, I don't want to just, you know, discount other players, but those two guys stand out to me as overachievers, guys that took their God-given talent and just made it so much better. So I I would say those two guys, and actually uh, a coach... That's an interesting question, but I I I would probably not because they're defending world champions. But I know this guy very well, Andy Reid. Yeah. And and Andy just has a way with people. And you would think Andy, in his at his age right now, would be kind of an old school pound the rock kind of guy, mixing the play action, little old school football. He's the most creative coach in the business right now. So I love guys that are able to change their thought process, do things differently. And again, maybe it made us when you asked me about where do I see the game in 20 years? Andy's gone all for speed and certainly had an incredible impact on on his football team, uh, particularly in the Super Bowl when you can score that fast. So I I would say Andy Reid would be a guy that just be be cool to play for. And he seems to have a great, I know him well, he's a great people person and players love to play for him. And you guys know that's always, that's something you don't always hear. They wanna play for the guy. They wanted to win it at Super Bowl, not, yeah, for yourself, obviously, but they wanted to win it for Andy Reid. They wanted to get a guy that has 200 plus wins in the Hall of Fame. So, and they did. Wow. Yeah.
3: Good answer. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's all I have. Do I get right bonus there. points. Do I get bonus points, Jake. <laughs> you you did great, man. I love it. You know, uh, I think you the two guys you named, Breeze and Manning, I mean, geez, you know, that said overachievers. Um, they're amazing. I always marvel at how, how slow the game looked for them at times and how they you know, just knew where to go all the time. But great answers. Uh, man, Jaws, we're, we're, about, we're out of time here, man. And I've been, it's been a true pleasure to hear you uh, give us your energy and passion right. and tell us about some good stuff. We love hearing you on TV. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Hey, Jake, so great to with you. Great yeah. to with you as well. Let's do it again down the road, man. This was fun.
2: Let's do it. We would love to, man.
0: Man, awesome I right, be safe guys in these crazy times you bet all Thanks, right great job.
3: take it easy you got it. Yeah. you got it
0: man thank you see ya. that
3: was great